Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast 2023 NBA Draft Live Show. I am Sam Vecini. Adam Spinella is suited over there in the DMV Virginia area. What's going on, Adam? What up, Sam? We are uh, we're here. It's draft night. I think you and I were talking off air. Like this is it. Like the last push here. Everyone is overtired and overexhausted, but the best night of the year. Like there's this is what we do it for. I am thrilled to be here with you. I am carrying on the Matt Penny tradition, being dressed to the nines here. Shout out Matt Penny. Thank you for trailblazing. This is going to be so much fun. Well, I, I hope Matt Penny is watching. I, that's that's my on. hope. Where Come where on, is man. he? I mean, we got to we got to get Penny in the building here. Uh, Penny, I love you. Wish you were here as well. Adam joined us last year to do this. We're going to break down every first round pick this year, and let's before we. I don't know where do you want to start. Do you want to start trades or do you want to start with like my general prediction on what's going to happen here? Let's probably start trades because I'm sure that is going to factor into some of the potential outcomes that we see, even at the top of the draft. So the first trade that I think is important, the one that like completely blew my mind, to be honest, was the Marcus Smart trade last night. The three-team deal between the Wizards, the Celtics, and the Memphis Grizzlies occurred late last night after, were you asleep, Adam, honestly? No, no, I don't sleep anymore. No, no, I was up. Okay. Good, good to know. Uh, so this deal happens, and Christophs Porzingis, the Celtics were very clearly trying to acquire Christophs Porzingis over the course of the last few days. There was a deadline with Christophs Porzingis' contract where the only way for the Celtics to acquire him was to opt in to this deal with the Wizards into a $34, $36 million player option. As soon as he opted in, he gave up quite a bit of leverage, which meant that he really needed to have a deal done ahead of time and his representation needed to have a deal done ahead of time. Originally, earlier in the day, there was a deal with the Clippers where the Wizards would acquire the 30th overall pick. Eventually, though, we got to a point where that deal broke down. Brian Windhor said it was due to Malcolm Brogdon's medicals earlier today, something that Brogdon has, over the course of his career, struggled with. Uh, if you go back pre-draft, it's actually why he fell to the second round uh, during his draft cycle, which I believe was 2014, uh, 2015 maybe, if I remember correctly. But what ends up happening is they bring this deal back together and – we end up getting, instead of Malcolm Brogdon, Marcus Smart involved. Marcus Smart goes to the Memphis Grizzlies. The Memphis Grizzlies send two first-round picks, including the number 25 overall pick this year, to the Boston Celtics. The Boston Celtics then send 35 to Washington. 
the Grizzlies also send Tyus Jones to Washington. And we're now into a crazy circumstance where Marcus Smart is no longer going to play for the Boston Celtics, which completely blows my mind on some level. When you saw this trade as our resident Boston fan, uh, what happened in your mind, Adam? Well, it's really about the way that the trade trickled out in different regards, because it was a whirlwind of a day to be a Boston Celtics fan. First, there was the Clippers deal, and you think, okay, we're getting rid of Brogdon, we're bringing back Porzingis, both have some injury concerns. It'll change the way we play. Like I was excited about the talent acquisition, but not sure of the fit just yet. And then that deal falls apart, and I kind of exhale a little bit. I'm like, okay, maybe they're just going to go in a different direction. About 30 minutes later, Woj and Shams start tweeting out that Talks are going to be resurrected, just including a different team than the Clippers. And seemingly right before the buzzer, the order of things really is uh, is important here. The trade is going through. Porzingis is going to Boston. They're working with the Grizzlies on this. Great. Sounds good. Tyus Jones heading to Washington. Sounds, sounds solid. And then all of a sudden, Marcus Smart is involved. And my heart dropped because he's so much of the identity of this team on the defensive end and and really the collective glue that holds their starting unit together that one-to-one that seemed like an unfathomable deal to make from a cultural standpoint move on from Marcus Smart bring in Chris Apps Porzingis and then you see a little bit later that Boston's actually getting draft compensation back so they end up getting the best player talent-wise in the draft and two future picks, including one of them, which is this year. Insane value. I understand why Brad Stevens had to do it, but there is a piece of my heart that's going to be missing for Marcus in Boston. I I wanted to see him be one of those lifers, uh, those lifer role players that always found a mark in the city. Huge fan of Marcus Smart and what he brought to the table. Salute him for his time there. I think he will be a great fit in Memphis, but I'm I'm excited for this new iteration of the Boston Celtics with another front court shooter, massive size across the board, Porzingis, who has turned into a little bit underrated of a defender. And for the Celtics, a really smart way to continue to build out their roster, having team controlled, cheaper contracts on these first round picks. We don't know what the new CBA is going to firmly entail for a lot of these teams that want to compete. But if you plan on being inside the luxury tax, I think it's really smart to have a lot of these future draft assets or cheaper contracts on your your cap sheet in order to play the game as best you can. Totally agree. And I think that it's really interesting the Celtics went down that road. I think it's interesting the Celtics still have both Al Horford and Robert Williams on this roster which means to me that they're probably going to try and play bigger, it seems like, Huge. next season. Huge. Unless <laughs> – you can't do that while you're wearing a suit, man. That's the yeah, problem you're right. here. you're right. You're right. Uh, I- I'm very, very intrigued to see how big they play. Do they play like Jalen and Jason at the two and the three? Do they have like minutes where they play like, you know, Jason just straight up initiating offense? Yeah. Uh, a Derek White, Brown Tatum, Porzingis, like – Horford lineup seems not impossible to me, but the big thing that I've heard about the Celtics throughout this offseason has been the desire to add shooting on some level, right? 
the desire to add shooting and floor spacing for guys like Jason and Jalen to be able to drive, to have the court opened up. It's not that Al Horford can't shoot necessarily. Teams guard him out there. He's become a really great shooter. I think they just want 48 minutes of floor spacing from the center position, essentially at this point. And we will see how that goes. For the Wizards, I mean, I, I like this deal. Frankly, you get Tyus Jones for Kristaps Porzingis. I get that they're both expiring. I think Tyus is awesome. Tyus is one of the top 25 point guards in the NBA. Uh, he is outstanding. I'm so excited to see what he looks like uh, as a starter. They go out, they acquire the 35th overall pick. I think that was super smart. Uh, it'll give them another opportunity to go out and get a really interesting player. What do you think about this deal for the Washington Wizards as we kind of close in on the draft here? Yeah, I mean, for for Washington, this is a reset of their books in a lot of regards, right? And they're just trying to continue to, to find ways to either generate cap space to take back players that get them picks or take a couple flyers on some younger guys around the league. And I know this is going to be related to a Chris Paul trade conversation that we probably have at some point. But I really like Tyus. I think that he is one of the more underrated guards in the league, capable of being a starter, very, very heady, stout on the defensive end of the floor. I like him as a piece because he he can play long-term with that team. He's young enough in a contract year, or you can flip him and really get something back in return at the deadline if you need I think that is absolutely right. I, I would be, you know, his contract is not extension eligible because he signed that two-year contract, which is – uh, a bit annoying, I'm sure, for the Washington Wizards at this point. But the Wizards also went out and acquired good old Jordan Poole. They get a 2020 or no 2030 first round pick. We're into the yeah, part geez. of the year where 2030 first round picks are eligible to be moved. Uh, 2030 first round pick and Chris Paul, who they acquired in the Bradley Beal deal are going to the Golden State Warriors. Jordan Poole is going to the Memphis Grizzlies. Look, I'm not the biggest fan of Jordan Poole. I think that contract is an overpayment by at least $10 million a year. But Jordan Poole is a high-level scorer who is going to average 27, 26 points per game for them next year. Tyce Jones and Monte Morris are going to get him buckets like pretty easily, I think. They're going to get him open catch-and-shoot threes, depending on who they draft, depending on who they surround him with. Jordan Poole is an interesting flyer for them to take. And given how flexible they are salary-wise now moving forward, they are the kind of team that can bet on Jordan Poole becoming an asset, I think. Yeah, and he needs to go to a place where he can just be given the reins a little bit and score. And I think Golden State, for the style that they wanted to play and the teammates he was surrounded with, I don't want to say held him back in some regard, but the styles never truly meshed once all of the Warriors superstars got healthy. So it's nice for Jordan to get a change of scenery in this. I've got to be careful. I can't bring my wife to have courtside tickets in Washington just down the road now, but that's neither here nor there. Like (laughs) this is a good deal for Golden State in some regard to, to get off of that money. I know we we can talk about the type of player and the fit with Chris Paul in a moment, but like you said, a little bit of an overpay for pool before this is going to come off their books in the long term, which is of major importance for them because of how, high their repeater tax is and has always been. Yep. I think that's really right. To me, this is an idea of, for the Warriors at least, similar to what they did with D'Angelo Russell, I feel like, where they are just keeping the salary spot in some way. And they've gone out and acquired 
a really valuable contract in Chris Paul because the team has a lot of control over what happens to Chris Paul moving forward. Now they can use him as an expiring this year. They can use him as an expiring next year. They can release him after this year. If they want to get salary relief moving forward, there are just so many different avenues that they can do things or like they can use him as a trade asset moving forward if they want to, because that contract is as valuable as it is. So I really love this acquisition just from a flexibility perspective from the Golden State Warriors. I'm a little bit interested in the fit stylistically of Chris Paul with the Warriors, if only because Chris Paul is like a slow it down, domineering ball, you know, on ball point guard. Whereas this Warriors team is a ball movement, speed it up. Let's get it rolling kind of team. I don't know. Maybe they are going to just try and like move him again at some point, but also Chris Paul's a basketball genius. Can you imagine like two man games with him and Draymond green, just running pick and rolls, Draymond short rolling. You have to put two on the ball or you have to play a little bit flatter against Chris Paul because the shot is always there. The threat of the shot at the very least. It's a fascinating, fascinating, fascinating duo potentially, I think to run second units. Yeah, it'll be, I'm curious to see how it looks when it all comes together because the Warriors play style. I know I just talked about this with Jordan Poole is very much not a Chris Paul play style, but his basketball IQ, his shooting off ball should allow him to blend in in ways if he's willing to make those sacrifices and, and be able to make it work. The one thing on court that I really like about this and something I've been clamoring for since Clay Thompson came back from his multiple, multiple injuries in the years that he li- missed is that they need to start playing Clay up the lineup a little bit more. He's no longer really a two guard. He's got to be more of a three or maybe even a three slash four. That's what happens when you lose some of your athleticism over time. I think yep. the the vision of having Jordan Poole and Steph Curry, Wiggins and Clay and Dre as your kind of closing five is a very strong one. Substituting CP3 in for Poole there, we'll see how it all works. But I, I'm applauding them for actually going in the direction of moving smaller because it's a way to benefit Clay and not expose him as much defensively. Can you imagine oh them running all sorts of insane actions with Stephen Curry and Chris Paul? Uh, Steph running off ball, running off so all sorts of like Kevon Looney screens inside. Clay Thompson doing the same. Like the split actions would just be like outrageous. Like it, the whole thing is going to be really interesting. It's just going to require Chris Paul to be willing to heat that thing up and get it moving a little yeah. bit, I think. Okay, last thing here, the Grizzlies, because it seems like we're closing in on San Antonio being on the clock, right? Looks like it. They're panning around showing something here on his 2K version of whatever. It's cool, I guess. Yeah, Adam Spinella is going to be our person in charge of keeping track because I have to produce things, and uh, I often end up, uh, at least for an hour, because producer Jacob will be here to produce things. As people that are longtime listeners know, I never really watched the draft actually since I've been doing this. It's too much like sensory overload for me when I'm like trying to be locked into this. It's just insane. So with the Grizzlies now, they go and acquire Marcus Smart here. I think this is the exact guy that they needed yeah. just to be completely upfront. They need a guy that can play at the point of attack. That can be a multi-positional defender. It's kind of like the idea of I've always loved Mikhail Bridges for them. 
it's kind of like a knockoff version of that in some ways. He's not as good offensively as Mikhail, but he's multi-positional. He is strong. He's physical. And he's a leader. Like, I love the idea of them going out and acquiring like a leader for a lot of these young guys. Marcus Smart is a Grizzlies type of player to a T. On court, off court, all of those different things. He is a very Grizzlies type of player. It fits. I think particularly knowing that John Moran is going to miss a couple games at the start of the season here, seems that is very likely. Having Marcus Smart on the roster to play on ball and then off ball next to him is a really clean fit. Yep. I just think it's a great idea to be able to play a foursome late in the game of John Morant, Desmond Bain, Marcus Smart, Jaron Jackson, because that four, there isn't a player type that you can't put next to them that doesn't work. You know what I mean? Like if you want to put Steven Adams next to them because you need somebody to guard Nikola Jokic. You can do that. You want to put Luke Kennard on the court because you feel like you want more offense. You want to get more floor spacing. Totally works. Great. You want to put somebody like a, you know, Dylan Brooks isn't going back, but like you want to put a Dylan Brooks out there because you want more physical wing defense with these guys. You can do that. I really think this is an awesome, awesome group of talent that is going to be really intriguing long-term to watch develop. The big key here though, is that they maintain all of their assets moving forward. Uh, They did not trade out any of their own future picks beyond this 2023 draft. So if they wanted to go out and try and get a Mikhail Bridges, if he eventually becomes available, if they want to go out and try and get a, I saw, I think maybe Jake Fisher over at Yahoo reported earlier that uh Franz Wagner is a person they have asked about previously with Orlando. Uh, of course, you're never getting Franz Wagner, but like, of course, it's silly. Franz Wagner is going to be like an all-star very soon. But you then have the ability to trade four first-round picks out into the future to be able to acquire that star. Uh, I mean, look, like, I don't think they're going to go out and try and acquire Paul George. But if you're telling me that you could convince me Paul George is going to stay healthy and they could get a Ja Morant, Marcus Smart, Desmond Bain, Paul George, Jaron Jackson group. That's pretty damn close to a title favorite to me. I don't know that it's the favorite, but that's pretty damn close. They're, they are now one move away from being a great team, and they have maintained all of the flexibility to be able to make that one move. It, it's a really good deal for Memphis. They gave up a lot here to get Marcus Smart, but I still think it's a great deal for Memphis. Yeah, so I agree with you. Uh, 3.30 left on the clock here for the San Antonio Spurs to get their pick in. I have three questions for you. One, why haven't they sprinted it up there already? Let's 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 the delay here. Right. My my assumption is it has something to do with ESPN asked them yeah. not to in 100%. order to like build the show a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Number number two, have you seen Grady Dick's outfit? I have. I texted uh one of his agents actually about it and told him, uh let me pull up the text. It was Ooh. uh Oh my god, Grady's suit. It's the worst, and yet I love it. <laughs> I love it. I absolutely love it. And, and absolutely the agent texted back and said, it is so Grady, <laughs> which it is. 
Yeah, yeah it's it rules. It, yeah, it is a leaky faucet. It is crazy. It's it, a leaky faucet. The red bottoms. It it is. Uh, it's something. Grady Dick, unbelievable. Uh, yeah. Grady Dick, uh, big time horror movie fan. From everything I've been told. So that? yeah, shout out Grady Dick. Uh, yeah. Some point, some point, Grady Dick Game Theory Podcast Horror Movie Podcast Show. Uh, Love it. We'll, we'll have to we'll have to consider such an outcome. Yeah. Uh, Last question okay. I have for you, Sam. Last Last one. question. Why didn't you and I get invites to the green room? It seems like everybody else involved <laughs> in the draft did. Because we got to do this. That's, this, that's why. That's like true. I can't. I, so I have never, this is great. I am a draft analyst who like, you know, is of some renown at this point. I don't know if yes. I'm of much renown, yes. but some, yes. uh, I don't watch the draft. I genuinely, Adam, I've not watched the draft for three or four years now. Wow. And I've never been to the draft. I, I just like, I, I don't think I can do work there in yeah. that environment. There's just no point to me to going. You know, there's a reason they used to do these things like just over the phone, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm with so, you. Yeah. All right. It's the a pick, fun, fun time. The pick is reportedly in, but we do not have Adam Silver at the podium yet. I will alert you when he arrives. I'm sorry for those of you who are on a little bit of a delay that there might be a few seconds spoiler here. We're doing the best that we can, but it is better than those mobile notifications that hopefully people turned off from Woj and, and Shams. I know Woj said he's not doing the tweets this year. I don't know if Shams is or if he is not. I turned the mobile notifications off. I'm not not checking my phone for that. So we will see. Yeah, I don't know if um, I don't know if Shams is either. I've been talking to Shams throughout the day just on stuff for the second overall pick, and honestly, I didn't ask him. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, I'm not sure if he's going to do that or not. Uh, let's see here. I'm getting set up with a banner. We're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP, hackers, and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, For instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla Minus One recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan and you need a VPN if you want to go to like Amazon prime or something to be able to watch it. So when I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. Nord VPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. 
malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions. Just head to nordvpn.com slash game theory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash game theory to claim your account, nordvpn.com slash game theory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord, and it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash game theory. For us to go, and oh. then I have to create another banner here. That's oh. not the right one. You get rid of that. Okay. We're all ready. I think we're good. Whenever this pick gets in, Whenever which it's, it, gets in. It, is, uh, it is a wild ride here. Uh, let's assume this is Victor Wambanyama and just talk about this. We can do that. That's fine. I think that's right. We haven't talked about this basically since the lottery, just because, yeah. you know, it's been a done deal for a while. I feel like with the number one overall pick, the San Antonio Spurs select Victor Wembanyama is A, a good thing for the San Antonio, San Antonio Spurs. And B, their roster fits him really well, is the important factor here. They have guys on the wing like Devin Vassell and Keldon Johnson who complement one another. Keldon's able to drive and be like that wrecking ball, bowling ball. Devin's able to be like a perimeter shot maker. Please interrupt me whenever they actually. Yeah, I'll, I'll let you know. Way. Yeah. Um, they have Jeremy Sohan, who's this jack of all trades, uh, as like a four man that I think is like genuinely the perfect complement next to Victor Wembanyama. Like, almost kind of like Aaron Gordon next to Nikola Jokic in some respect, yeah. right? With his ability to handle the ball a little bit, his defensive versatility. There's just a lot of different things that he's going to be able to bring that are going to allow Victor Wimanyama to play the versatile kind of screen coverages that are going to make him so successful. Adam, do we have an official pick? It seems that we have an official pick. Adam Silver is at the podium and I have it muted right here so that this is not Getting anything, and there it is. First overall pick, Victor Wimanyama from France. Love it. So I, I think that that has always been the likely outcome. What in the world happened here? How did that not get saved? Uh, okay. Okay, we're clear. There we so how do you feel about this fit? Because, look, we all know Victor Wimanyama is a star. I just kind of talked about the fit. Maybe mm-hmm. let's go with this instead. Do you think Victor Wembanyama is the best prospect since X? Or what is Victor Wembanyama the best prospect since? Maybe is the better question. I'll go all the way back to LeBron James. It's been 20 years as far as I can tell. I've been covering the draft for six now. By far the best prospect I've scouted in that period of time. But been a basketball fan since I was you know 
mid nineties and following players and, and have a good feel for who's coming to the league and who hasn't. Nobody is like him in terms of the diversity of ways that he impacts the game of basketball and the multitude of areas he can dominate in unguardable in one-on-one circumstances with his back to the basket. And that's in the mid post where he can turn around jumper over the top of everybody drop step dunks whenever he wants the mismatch post with size wise. He can really take anybody off the bounce because of his length that he wants to. There's such a high ceiling for him to tap into offensively. He has turned into a dominant offensive player. What he's always been is a dominant, you know, just a geometry changing player on the defensive end blocks shots and protects the rim does an unbelievable job of shot deterrence inside the lane and near the basket, which is an underrated part of being a great interior defender. He can show and recover on screens. He can play at the level. He's shown some ability to switch, obviously great uh, from the weak side, but I think he provides such a comparative advantage to everyone else in transition. That's where his game pops the most. He can handle, he can be a rim runner. Those are great traits on offense. Then on defense, he is the shot eraser. If it's a two-on-one and Victor Wembanyama is the one, you're probably not scoring unless you take a jump shot. It's unbelievable how he just changes the entirety of the game by being out there. Really humble, mature kid. I'm sure everyone has seen the J.J. Redick podcast from earlier this week and some of the clips going around about how he's like a mini philosopher and a really well-adjusted kid to be in this position. Every indication is that he's going to make it. And when you combine that with the monstrous upside and the impact he's already shown in a professional league, this checks every single box. It's right. I completely agree with you. I think that he ticks every box except for maybe like the – Ability to stay on the court long-term. Last year, he missed some time with injuries while playing a schedule that was a little bit more onerous uh, than it was this season while playing with Metropolitans, where he's playing once every like six days or so. But that is the ultimate splitting of hairs. I agree with Adam. I think he is the best prospect since LeBron James. I think LeBron was the best prospect basically since Kareem, having done all sorts of uh research on this previously there are a number of players that i think you can compare victor Wembanyama to i think arvita sabonis is an interesting name i think that uh certainly ralph sampson is a name that will come up for people across the nba as somebody that victor Wembanyama compares to i also believe that bill walton is a name too it is a fascinating group of players that he compares to all of them were great Ralph Sampson just got hurt unfortunately and uh, Bill Walton's a hall of famer Arvita Sabonis is a hall of famer these guys that are generational prospects they're generational prospects for a reason and they tend not to miss barring injury that's the reality and I'm excited Yeah, this is this is a no-brainer. Uh, Wemby getting emotional here in his sit-down interview on ESPN, I think, shows a lot about him, too, that even though this has been a yep. foregone conclusion, he cares so much about the moment. He cares and puts, in a delicate way, he puts the pressure on himself to live up to this hype. Uh, I, I love Vic as a person. I love him. And for people who don't know, Shams is doing – 
picks, it looks like, just as a heads up. We are not going to go with Shams's picks and stay out front. We're going to stay with the show, essentially. That way we can kind of talk through these guys a little bit more, do so a yeah. little bit more substantially. We think it'll be fun. Uh, Adam will let me know whenever the next pick comes up, obviously. Yeah. But we, we do have a pick, and it'll be intriguing for people to react. Uh, in terms of Wembenyama moving forward, is there a specific kind of point guard? Is there a specific kind of player that you would like to see San Antonio target in free agency? I would just say throw out the traditional labels of position types when you have a guy like Victor Wembenyama. I, I think that what the Spurs already have with him means you can build a dominant defense with length and perimeter pressure everywhere. I wouldn't want to sacrifice that by getting a certain point guard. I also think that it means that offensively you're looking for skills more so than positions of players. Uh, you need more shooting. You probably need a good pick and roll threat who can throw lobs up to him. That's something that's missing on the the roster right now. And maybe a guy who's a really good mid range pull up shooter. If the roll gravity that Victor Wembanyama brings is something teams try to take away a little bit more, you need to be able to punish teams who overreact to him as a roller. So those are some things I would look for. Like Austin Reeves as a name has, has been a fit we've talked about for a while. It makes sense to me. Th- that's that's the one. If it I was sense. San Antonio, I would be chasing Austin Reeves. Like I, I think that that is the guy that makes the absolute most sense in the world for the San Antonio Spurs moving forward. As a versatile piece, he does not stop you from going out and finding an elite-level point guard. Uh, an elite level creator, if you want to, he does not stop you from, you know, having him as playing the point guard, right? There's just a number of different things. Adam has the picket looks like, do you? Adam Silver is walking to the podium with the second pick in the 2023 NBA draft. The Charlotte Hornets select Brandon Miller, University of Alabama. So let's talk about this a little bit, because as I talked about earlier, I I put Scoot at the mock earlier today. My impression is that this entire situation throughout this process for Charlotte has been open. I do not think that at any point up until this week, they made a real decision. I think that there may have been a slight lean early on with Brandon. I do not think it was as strong as what was portrayed publicly, just straight up. And this was always more of a toss-up, and they decided to go with Brandon Miller. I've heard some other things that maybe at some point might get reported by somebody else, but my impression is that there was a bit more of a split, I guess, uh, than you would think. Like I think it was a genuine debate within the Hornets front office where Brandon Miller ends up going number two overall. Great player. Like really, really great player. Adam, where did you have Brandon Miller on your board to finish? I had Brandon Miller number three on my board. Uh, I'm in the suit. I didn't shave the head tonight, but I may end up doing the Jay Billis thing here and just be the, the wingspan guy who talks about the value of length in every draft and like the, the value of having a guy who's six foot nine and can be the perimeter initiator of your offense. Brandon Miller is a really well-rounded player on both ends of the floor. Six, nine plays off ball because of his three point shooting range and prowess. Very good passer 
in the pick and roll and a guy who can create for himself and others. I love the micro skill that he brings to the table of passing with his offhand. Really underrated trait, prevents teams from forcing him in either direction. Important if you're going to be one of the top players and offensive options for a team in the NBA. Underrated playmaker out of the pick and roll. I think more of a two-level scorer right now than a three-level scorer. Good in the mid-range, just something he didn't get to show at Alabama, but has in the past at AAU and high school levels. Obviously talented out to three. Has some challenges with separation and consistency of rim pressure. He made slight in-season improvements. You hope that as his frame fills out, he gets stronger in his lower half. Some of those issues are going to subside. But an active defender who can guard both wing spots, uses his length well, cares about that end of the floor, a very good rebounder. And by all accounts that you and I talked about very early in this draft cycle, a guy early on in the process who established himself as kind of being the guy who wants the ball in clutch situations that would would have the propensity to really go off for Alabama. We saw that last summer at times. We heard that coming out of their camp in, in the, the preseason process. He yep. had some really, really strong games for them this season where he could go into takeover mode. So here is where I will maybe – Maybe I'll just be the bad guy on this. The the questions about Brandon Miller are the driving, the footwork sequences, and the shooting, right? Uh, Can he consistently knock down shots in a way that is commensurate with – can he consistently drive and knock down shots at the rim in a way that is commensurate with someone like this as a big wing mismatch creator? You look through history in terms of these guys, he has the worst percentage at the rim – of all of them. He shot 39.5% or so in half-court settings at the basket this season. Uh, Even Jalen Brown playing in that disaster offensive scheme at Cal next to like Ivan Rabb and Kingsley Okoro and those guys shot right around 45% or so. And and on that point, Sam, Alabama, the best spaced offense in the country, modern pro scheme, like really space you out, five out. There aren't those built-in excuses that a guy like Jalen would have had. Yep. I think that's absolutely right. Uh, I guess you could bring it, bring up that like Bidiaco was around the rim a pretty decent amount, but you know, nonetheless, I think that it's uh, still a wide open offense that is well-spaced in Alabama. So that's the main concern. He's a solid defender. I wouldn't call him a plus defender by any stretch of the imagination. Like to me, he brings up Paul George as the guy he compares himself to. Paul George is a drastically better defender and like a drastically better athlete than he is. To me, he's more Chris Middleton-y in terms of what his upside is long-term. And that's great. Chris Middleton, you know, is a guy that was the number two team, number two player on a title team and is a four or five time all-star. And with the Charlotte Hornets, I think Chris Middleton uh, would make a lot of sense, frankly. And with the Charlotte Hornets, Brandon Miller is going to make a lot of sense as their, you know, number two option next to LaMelo Ball. I would have taken Scoot Henderson because I'm not 100% convinced that LaMelo Ball is the guy, frankly. I think that you need to take the guy that you think is the best player in terms of being, you know, the leader of your team and having a chance to be the best player on a title team. LaMelo is an all-star I don't know if he's that. He might be. Like, he might grow into that. But I don't know if he's that yet. And before I know that I have someone that can be that, I am taking the guy that I think has a chance to be that and taking as many times as we can. Yeah. 
And okay, so shifting to Portland, like Silver's not at the podium yet, but it seems like he here he is. He's walking out now. This will be, I don't think, an intriguing pick to make. I think we have a feeling who it's going to be. But what do we do as a result of this is going to be part of the conversation here with Portland. So Adam Silver has announced Scoot Henderson to the Portland Trailblazers. No surprise. Yeah, no, no surprise there. Scoot Henderson to the Portland Trailblazers. Adam Spinella, explain Scoot Henderson while you're here, while I'm typing up and producing this stuff. Scoot Henderson is just an unbelievable driving force of a team, uh, particularly on the offensive end of the floor. 6'2-ish, maybe a little bit taller, with about a 6'8", 6'9", wingspan, massive hands, but a, a really intense driver. Loves to push tempo in transition. Unbelievable athlete in terms of how fast he can go. He weaves in and out of traffic. He's got that nitrous boost mode that he can tap into in the open floor. And he's really bendy with his last step. I call that last step quickness, the ability to avoid yep. contact, accelerate, decelerate as he needs, just get cleaner looks at the rim. Really pick and roll maestro is the type of role for him in a half court setting, put the ball in his hands, spread the floor and surround him with really good, smart shooters and a roll man. And he's going to make the right decision nine times out of 10. His assist numbers were fantastic on a G League Ignite team that didn't space the floor or shoot the ball particularly well from three. He has a couple smaller warts in his game that he needs to work on. He is a great mid-range pull-up shooter, but has not consistently extended that to three. I think that he's decent enough that teams can't always go underneath ball screens, but when he knows that that's what they're going to do, he's okay to counter it. If he doesn't know, there are some issues. I also worry a little bit more just about defensive versatility and flexibility. A lot of these smaller guards don't have many places to hide when you go into a postseason series against multiple teams that are built all 6'5 or larger. The nice part about Scoot is that he's just a giant muscle and he's hyper competitive. He's <laughs> going to be the, he's going to be the type of guy who finds a way to overcome that anyway. But yep. those are at least the questions and the concerns right now. The three-point shooting range and how consistently he holds up against different schemes and coverages on the defensive end. The main question that I have now is what does Damian Lillard do? Because if I am the Portland Trailblazers, that's my biggest question. And I now have, frankly, the most athletic future backcourt in the NBA in Scoot Henderson and Shaden Sharp, two guys that, by the way, I think fit incredibly well together long-term. As long as Shaden Sharp is able to continue to be the very, very high-level shooter that I think he is capable of being long-term uh, and showcased certainly late in the year last season, it's going to be perfect. They're going to be able to play off of each other exceptionally well. And I think bring a lot to the table that opposing teams are going to struggle just to match up with athletically. Even it's going to be hard to keep these guys out of the paint. All you have to do is build a well-spaced floor and you kind of have the job done. I think long-term yeah. Ultimately, now it's just about Damian Lillard and how long do these guys stay here? Yeah, Portland has options, and this was the best-case scenario for them, I think. Scoot Henderson falling to number three because it opens up a treasure trove of options for them. They can stay the course and play these two guys together. I think Anthony Simons might be the odd man out in some regard there, but you can get value back and extract a better roster fit alongside of, of Scoot and Dame if that's what you decide. You can hit the full, full reboot button. 
and go scoot and shade in long term. And that's an unbelievable high ceiling duo to be able to have athletically half court creation. Shaden Sharp was terrific over the final month of the season for a Blazers team that obviously was trying to play through him and tank a little bit, but he showed some fantastic parts here. There's a lot of ways the Portland Trail Blazers can go now. This is, to me, a gift-wrapped third pick for them. I think that that is right, and I think that long-term, we will find out what they do. Uh, if you're the Blazers now, what are you trying to accomplish uh, with your roster build? Are you trying to move Damian Lillard? Are you just going to Dame and saying, look, we want to go a different direction? Or... Are you hoping Dame does it and just says, because one thing Brian Windhorst said earlier today is that neither of these guys want to be the bad guy. Neither the Blazers nor Dame want to ask out. I don't know. Like it doesn't, it doesn't have to be that way. Like you can just mutually say like, look, we're going in different directions, guys. Like let's, let's think about this in terms of what each organization wants long-term. That's what Windhorst said. Well, in terms of, Nobody wanting to be the bad guy. Yeah. That's what he said. Now, why would that be? I mean, if, if I'm Portland, <laughs> I'm honestly, and this, this may sound unconventional, I'm going to Damian Lillard and I'm asking him what he wants. Yep. That's it for me. Hey, man, you have been the face of our franchise and organization, and we 100% want to do right by you. We had to take Scoot Henderson. We had to take best player available here at number three. We have these young guys. We don't want to trade Shaden. We don't want to trade Scoot. But outside of that, do you want to win here? And do you want to be part of a way that we can reconstruct that? Or would you wish to move on? And we will do right by you, whatever you want. If I were in charge of the Blazers, it's exactly what I would do. That's what I would do too. He's earned it. I don't know if, yeah, I think that he has earned it. And I think that if you're them, I kind of hope he asks out a little bit. Like, I think it's time to go in a different direction. They, they can't, just given his age, I think they can't build the contender really around him in the time frame that they have. I wrote this earlier this week. I think Damian Lillard, I've like gone back and like looked at it now. Damian Lillard is somewhere between the 10th and 15th best point guard of all time. He's unequivocally a top 75 player to ever play in the NBA. This isn't a shot at Dame saying that like the Blazers can't build a team around him that will contend for a title. It's probably just time, unfortunately. He's coming off of maybe his best season ever. Uh, if you look at the offensive numbers, Damian Lillard is unbelievable. Maybe we'll talk about that later this week in terms of what uh, the Blazers could get for Damian Lillard. But there's a lot that I think will be very interesting to play out there. Adam, it sounds like we have a pick. Well, I don't know if we have a pick. I haven't seen Silver come in yet, but ESPN is doing this thing where they're, even before the pick is announced at the podium, they're zooming in on a guy who's on the phone mm. in the green room, and he's that guy is smiling. And they've done it each of the last three picks. It's They're tipping their hand a little bit in some regard. Um, not sure. Not sure how I feel about that from a production standpoint. We still got J.J. Redick chatting up the world here and talking about a couple of things. No Kendrick Perkins talking about, you know, Moody Moses or stuff like that. But, uh, oh, here we go. Here's Here we go. We got one. The commissioner is on his way to Le Podium. What do we got? With the fourth pick in the 2023 NBA draft, the Houston Rockets select 
Amen Thompson, the Overtime Elite Program. So later, uh, what, what was that? The mock draft I did, I think, in early June, I ended up with Cam Whitmore at four. After his pro day, I'd kind of heard the Rockets had some interest, and we'll talk about Cam later in this process here. But the whole time, the guy that has been most connected with them is Amen Thompson. Uh, this is a front office that prefers to go for the biggest swings possible. And undeniably, Amen Thompson is the biggest swing possible. Yeah. Amen Thompson is the best athlete in this draft class. He's six foot seven. I don't know. Would you call him the best passer in this draft class? I functionally think scoot is a little bit better of a decision maker but thompson's ability to pass is probably at its peak going to be the highest in this draft class yeah so like the word that kyle mann uses with this is passing vocabulary uh i think that his passing vocabulary is better than anybody else's just in terms of the sheer passes that he can make across the board like he can throw cross corners he can get crazy angles because of his length he can separate because of his first step athleticism he has that crazy jump stop he's strong enough to be able to put guys on his hip and keep them in jail like amen thompson is unbelievable he's an incredible incredible athlete the upside is unbelievable i love this pick for houston houston now gets to pair him with jalen green jabari smith Alper and Shangun, some of the two-man game stuff you're going to be able to do with him and Shangun, even though neither of them can shoot, I think is going to be really special because of their passing ability, especially if they surround them with three shooters in their two-thirds of the way there with Jalen Green and Jabari Smith, long-term at least. The most athletic backcourt in the NBA, man. Yeah. Oh, my God. They're going to be so much fun. And the men, this is a great night for Jabari Smith. It's a great night for Jabari Smith because last year we saw the challenges of playing for a coach that didn't run stuff for him and a couple of guards who didn't know how to organically find him. And he is a elite shooter who is reliant on other guys to create for him. Ime Udoka will be smart about where he positions Smith, but Amen Thompson is the piece here. This is the guy who can create and involve for you. I'm thinking about late clock situations Jabari setting a ghost pick and pop in the middle of the floor for a men. Yep. Holy crap guys. And then Jalen green, maybe going off of a corner exit screen off Alper and Shangun, which is another decent option to take away spacing. And now you've got Shangun on that almost slip or short roll from the short corner area. My goodness. Like there are going to be a really difficult team to guard in late clock situations because of his burst, because of his passing ability. He's got some things he needs to reel in, and we haven't talked about the jumper too much. He needs to become a better jump shooter. He needs to. That's how he unlocks all of the reads out of the pick and roll, is forcing teams to guard him outside of 12 feet. This year was actively harmful at times in the overtime lead program. He would catch the ball on the perimeter, and the man guarding him would back up inside of 12 feet, just completely back up. He needs to find a way to at least prevent that from happening. And if he does, he's got enough already on the offensive end. He's going to be a special player. I had him flip-flopping between three and four on my board with Brandon Miller for a long period of time. 
I settled on the safety of the shooting with Brandon Miller for scalability to an off-ball role, but he's probably got the second or third highest ceiling in this draft class. Yeah, I agree. And by the way, the idea of Portland having the most athletic young backcourt in the NBA was short-lived because now you pair a Men Thompson with Jalen Green, it's just going to be so hard to stay in front of those guys. It's going to be incredibly, incredibly difficult to stay in front. I just don't know how you do it at the end of the day. Jalen got a lot better this season at drawing fouls as well. Honestly, if I was Houston, I love Alper and Shengun. I think you play this out for another year. You see what it looks like. I think that you try and get Alper and Shengun to be able to shoot threes more than you care about him and Thompson being able to shoot threes. Because if Shengun can step out and knock down threes at a really high level, and you surround those guys with three spacers, it's going to be impossible to keep Jalen Green and Amen Thompson out of the paint. The thing that Amen Thompson needs more than anything is just the mid-range jumper. Yeah. Like that, that, He needs a mid-range jumper. He needs a floater. He needs something like that where teams can't just go like six feet under every screen and hope that he's not going to be able to get into the paint and just like yeah. lock up the paint, right? So I- I'm intrigued. With, I'm, I'm very, very intrigued with the Amen Thompson pick. I think it's a good pick. I think it makes a lot of sense. And we'll see what happens now with James Harden as well. Uh, the James Harden of it all yeah. is intriguing. I think Thompson could play with James Harden on some level. You'd just be taking the ball out of Harden's yeah. hands a little bit more. And I don't know that that totally works uh, in all honesty. Yeah, I don't, I don't, yeah, I, I don't want to do it. I, I'd rather build Well, I, I don't. Guys. I don't want to do it. I've been very clear that I would not do it. Here we go. Okay, we have Adam Spinella. Well, Adam Silver via Adam Spinella. The Detroit Pistons with the fifth pick are selecting Asar Thompson from the Overtime Elite program. The Twins go back to back. So this has been trending this way over the last – 72 hours, 96 hours, something like that. Uh, This was the clear guy. It seemed like it was going to be after a certain point was Asar Thompson. It seems like the Detroit Pistons have been quite high on him for a little while now. What are your thoughts on Asar Thompson, Adam? Because I know I get to be the good cop this time. I was the bad cop on Brandon Miller. You go ahead and explain your thoughts on Asar Thompson. I have Asar Thompson 13th on my board. That's where I settled with him on the final ranking. And a lot of that has to do with figuring out what the actualized role for him is in the half court. Uh, Very good athlete, very, very strong basketball IQ. I don't think he generates a lot of rim pressure with the ball in his hands for a guy who's as good of an athlete as he is. Picks up his dribble really early. And there are positives with that to be a, a, proactive playmaker for others, but he's not a strong threat to score inside the three-point line. He has made strides as a jump shooter, but I don't know if I feel comfortable enough with those to really trust him to be more of an off-ball guy than an on-ball guy. In Detroit particularly, I'm fascinated to see how Asar, Cade Cunningham, and Jaden Ivey all fit together because I think Mm -hmm. that Cade Cunningham is the best player of the group. And he is a guy you want to surround with more floor spacing than with other dynamic athletes slashers. 
Lasar is a great cutter, a really good connective passer, somebody who will pop in transition. It makes a lot of sense. But for the love of God, can we get some floor spacing around Cade in Detroit? This, to me, smells like they believe in the shooting. And that was just not a spot that I could fully get to. Oh, no. Like, there's no way that you can take Asar Thompson without believing in the shooting. If you're not – I had Asar at number nine. I would have taken quite a few players ahead of him. I think the upside is very real athletically. And I think a lot of teams got to the point where they felt like they wanted to bet on the upside athletically. Here's the other thing about the Thompson twins in general. I've talked to them on this show before for an hour, something like that. You talk to them, you get to know them over a little bit of time. Unbelievable kids. Like the exact kind of human beings that you want to bet on across the board. They're mature. They're polished. They're engaging. They really connect with you during the time that you're with them. They are very smart. Like you can just see, like there's like that light in their eyes where they're, they're truly listening to you and like paying attention to you as you ask them questions. They want to bounce off of you. Like they do truly want to have an interaction with you as they, you know, talk to people. And I think that, that's really important. That's an incredibly important piece of talking about why you're willing to buy into somebody improving, right? Yes. Th- that's really the key, right? If you are willing to buy into the human, you're probably going to buy into them continuing to work. And all of the uh, intel out of Overtime Elite is that these kids work. Yep. They put in the time. They're super professional. Now, when Adam talks about the shot, what worries me is that sometimes Asar doesn't get all the way squared up. You know, he has kind of inconsistent engagement in his lower half. He struggles to shoot it on the move, needs to really generally improve the shot prep. Uh, He looks like a guy that has generally lived his life as a driver, Mm -hmm. right? And that's always been his first goal. I think Asar's shooting is much further ahead of where Amenza is but now you have a core of Cade, Ivy, Asar, Jalen Duran, And oh, by the way, the fifth guy that they really like there is Isaiah Stewart. Stewart. Uh, the Athletics' James Edwards continues to report that they're going to try and offer Isaiah Stewart an extension. So I'm fascinated by the fit. I don't know if that's the best idea long term, frankly. I yeah. don't. It just feels very Troy Weavery, right? Great athletes, high processors, yeah. positional length, bet on the shooting to come around later. Here is Mr. Silver with pick number six for the Orlando Magic. And it appears that they are selecting Anthony Black from the okay. University of Arkansas. Let's go. Okay, now I have to let you talk first again because Adam Spinella is a big Anthony Black fan. By the way, like many teams were coming into this uh, NBA draft, I believe quite strongly that not only did Orlando really want him, but I think Washington and Utah also quite wanted him. So for them to miss out is going to be probably a bit disappointing to them. Uh, I'm going to be fascinated now to see what, 
Utah, what Indiana does yeah. on the clock. There could be some synergy, in my opinion. Maybe not. I don't know. There could be some synergy for a trade down, I think, on some level at this Perhaps. point. But we will see. I love Anthony Black for a lot of the reasons. You talk about Anthony Black. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of the reasons you just mentioned with Asar Thompson betting on the person, every indication about Anthony Black is that you bet on this person. Elite competitor just wants to show up and handle his business is a work in the dark, win in the dark kind of guy. Just keeps getting better at his craft. Doesn't care what AAU team or highlight mixtape he's on. Just wants to play and become a great basketball player. I love that about him, but he checks the boxes for the modern NBA that we have learned are related to success. He's positionally large, six foot seven, long wingspan, and he can move his feet laterally in a way that allows him to defend in space against smaller guys. He's got elite basketball IQ. It shows up on both ends. He's a fantastic pick and roll playmaker who operated in the system that gave him no space at Arkansas this year power driver when he gets downhill to his right hand, but a tremendous decision maker with great touch on the interior. On the defensive end, I keep calling him the best perimeter defender in this draft class. Pristine with his off-ball placement, and he plays a cat-and-mouse game with other ball handlers that forces them into turnovers. He's big enough to guard up or down the lineup in some regards. I think that he's going to be eventually really good at avoiding contact on screens. He just has to do it a little bit more consistently to be able to guard at the point of attack. But this is a culture driver type of player. He's probably not going to be your leading scorer, but he is a culture driver in all of the professional things that he stands for, the way he attacks and sees the game and makes those around him better on both ends of the floor. I love this fit in Orlando because I think the best version of him works so well as a connective passer and playmaker next to a guy like Paolo Bancaro and Franz Wagner, they are a team that will need shooting long-term because that is the knock on Anthony Black right now. But to me, the mechanics, the touch, the work ethic that he has, I'm willing to buy that as a shooter, both in terms of his pull-up and his catch-and-shoot, a little more than I am with either of the Thompson twins, which is where I had the gap between a guy like Anthony Black and Asar. The thing that's most impressive to me about Anthony Black is the feel, right? Uh, he's great in transition. Like he's he's one of those guys that's like constantly trying to pressure the defense, right? That's it. Like his goal is he's trying to put pressure on you from the moment he gets the ball, either in an outlet situation or off of a rebound. He's trying to get downhill. He's trying to get moving. More importantly, though, the thing that is impressive is he's one of those guys that just like anticipates where he's going to put the ball before he gets it, right? He is multiple seconds ahead. It is Josh Giddy-like in that way. Uh, Giddy is probably like a step ahead of him, but this is one of the few guys. I think Josh Giddy is going to be a prospect that we hear a lot of comparisons to over the course of the next few years, just because he is like anomalous. And a lot of players that are that are anomalous, other players try to compare themselves to, right? It's not going to always be a situation where you can compare a player to Josh Giddy, right. But I think Anthony Black is. Continue. It's Indiana time. Okay. At the podium, Adam Silver is announcing the pick number seven to the Indiana Pacers. Bilal Kula Bali. Wow. No. Bilal. Okay. Kula Bali. This smells trady to me. 
this smells know. trady to me as well. Um, I wonder if this is to Utah. Just genuinely, I wonder if this wanting is to, to, to leapfrog Washington maybe and make sure because yes. that that seems like a Washington guy. Maybe it's Washington moving up a spot and not letting could, Utah do that. Could be Washington moving up a spot, not letting Utah and, do that, and that's, that's possible. Poss- and that's possible because both Jarris and Hendricks are here, where Indiana might feel comfortable leveraging this for more assets and moving down to either eight or nine. Okay, I'm with you. It's one of those two. I wonder if it could be that. Honestly, like maybe Indiana just like trick the hell out of us I don't like know. the whole way because <laughs> indiana the only names i've heard are fours and i am uh this is a, this is an interesting one for sure yeah, you, you may have to keep your eyes on peeled on the uh the trade possibilities here because i, I have this on mute and i don't know if uh if or how they're gonna scroll that across the screen but ooh, kula bali let's talk kula bali okay so yes okay so What's happening here is exactly what we said. According to Shams nine seconds ago, Indiana is selecting Jarris Walker at number eight via the Wizards in a seven for eight flop. Washington is sending two second round picks to the Pacers to move up for Bilal Kulabali. Uh, this makes sense to me. I would imagine they were trying to beat Utah up the board here. Um, or beat maybe Oklahoma City up the board here. Yeah. But Kulabali is the guy that I wrote about in the mock as the guy that I thought was most likely to be traded up for in this class and to crash that top group in the top 10. Um, you are not as high on Kulabali as I am. No. So maybe I will talk a bit about Bilal because – I think he is an incredibly intriguing, informed bet for a team to make. He is a six foot seven to six foot eight wing with seven foot two wingspan. He is more than anything right now great on defense. Uh, he is incredibly effective at using his length in his on ball prowess. He is just a monster. Uh, Mikhail Bridges like in the French league at being able to get his length into those like ball handler space. Right. It makes it very, very tricky, I think, for opposing ball handlers to try and be able to separate from him. Now, the issue with Kulabali is that you look at his overall offensive usage and it's very low. Uh, even over this little run here where he's been quite good and has scored 15 points, there were only a couple of games in that run in the French League playoffs where he really had like 15 and was taking guys off the bounce and running ball screens and stuff. A lot of them come on catch and shoots, cuts, things like that. Overall, his offensive usage this season in the French league was equivalent to something like Isaac Okoro's usage with the Cleveland Cavaliers. (laughs) Having said that, if you watch him at lower levels, what you will see is a player who lives in the paint because nobody in the Espoirs League in France can stay in front of him. It's an informed bet. You're betting on tools here. He's a great athlete. He has incredible length. He has real athleticism. Like, he has great quickness. Like, he has real bursts vertically. He's a great transition player. Honestly, pairing him with Tyus Jones and Jordan Poole, I think makes a ton of sense for the Washington Wizards moving forward. Sure. I, I get the tools argument. 
I always ask the question, can you develop feel? Uh, that's yep. something I don't really know. And if you're not sure, or if you are sure of that answer, either way, I have a tough time rationalizing him above Cam Whitmore because I think Cam is an equally explosive athlete in a lot of different ways, but a little bit more of a shot creator and proven shooter. Um, Koulibaly is not. But a by very- the way, I, I just want to call call out real quick. This board has gone in a direction where I think something absolutely bonkers could happen with Utah here at nine. And I, I just want people to be prepared for that. Okay. If that happens. Okay. Um, there, there was one, there was one road where this thing could happen. Like one set of outs basically where this thing could happen. And I'm very curious now to see if it does. Oh God, you're going to have me sweating it out until then. Um, yeah. Like Koulibaly, I am, I am a risk averse person, Sam. Like I don't go on Ferris wheels or roller coasters. It's just it, in my nature to be more risk averse. The really late season rise of a small sample of games, it's not enough to swing me. I needed more. I needed to be proven a little bit more. We didn't get that yeah. from Koulibaly. I don't love the feel with the ball in his hands. I'm a little bit worried. Adam Silver. Back to the podium here with the eighth pick, which we know is now going to Indiana. I've and said it, who this is. Yeah, it is, so. it is Jairus Walker. It's Jairus Walker. It's Jairus Walker. Uh, so Jairus Walker is a perfect fit, I think, in Indiana. Yep. This is where I really wanted him to end up because you put him next to a spacing center in Miles Turner, who is an awesome drop coverage big. And what Jairus Walker is fucking unbelievable at is playing as the help man in the corner playing in a wide variety of scramble situations and being able to fly around defensively and be incredibly long and active, right? This is an awesome, awesome fit for him. I also love the idea of him being able to act in ball screens with Tyrese Halliburton, play in short roles when teams put two on the ball against Tyrese Halliburton and make high-level passing decisions. This is like, I'm not saying he's going to be Draymond Green. That is the role that I think Indiana will utilize him in. Using his passing ability to take advantage of four-on-three situations, using his uh, overall IQ to be able to try to beat defenses, using his length and athleticism to hopefully get to the basket and his ability to handle the ball. I love this pick. This is, yeah. uh, this is an A like this is, they, they could not have handled this better. I think. And a home run for, for Jarris as well, to be able to join an up and coming franchise and organization where he has a clear pathway and roll forward. That's kind of built around him. So uh, I think this, this makes a lot of sense as a front court partner with miles Turner. You talked about Jarris and, and the great things that he brings on both ends, particularly on defense as a, a help protector at the rim. I think that what Indiana would love is to find a way for opposing teams to stop putting their their four man on Miles Turner. That you need a yeah. big a big guy who plays the four, who can space teams out on the perimeter, make plays in different areas, but prevents teams from cross matching in the front court. Jarris does need to be able to shoot it in order for that to be actualized. I have yeah. heard good things about the shot and its progression. I think he was fine this year at Houston. wasn't great by any means, but an underrated player in terms of the diversity of his offensive game. We didn't see that on full display at Houston. He showed it at lower levels. 
He's a talented playmaker with the ball in his hands. And if he can find a way to tap into using his physical strength to bully guys over instead of taking a million and a half floaters and runners in the mid-range area, he's going to be a really potent role player. Okay. The good news is that it seems like Utah did not do something crazy. Uh, This makes me happy. I have seen the pick. Uh, Utah fans can relax a little bit, which is good. Um, Yeah, I had... I had some concerns. Uh, I'll explain after 16, maybe, is a fair way to put it. Uh, okay. With Jarris moving forward within that offense, you now have Ben Matherin, you now have Jarris Walker, you now have uh, Tyrese Halliburton is your core. I think this is a really fun question here from Albert Singleton. Prospect Wars, immediately off the top of your head, Scotty Barnes versus Jarris Walker versus Jeremy Sohan. In each of the last three drafts, top 10 picks, guys that you're hoping to get similar things out of. How do you rank these three? Scotty one, Jarris two, Sohan three. I would go Scotty one, Sohan two, Jarris three. And the only reason I would take Sohan is I think he's a little bit more fluid athletically yes. than what Jarris is. Uh I think Jarris probably has better feel for the game as a passer, and I think he has a little bit more upside as a shooter. Maybe it is Jarris. <laughs> I think Sohan. I think Sohan actually has more routes to score effectively, though. Weirdly, like I think Sohan can play in ball screens as a ball handler better, whereas Walker is like more of a roller as a big kind of. Yeah, it's yeah. that's a weird one. I'm, that's a good I'm question. Jarris. It's a, uh, yeah. It's a phenomenal question. So Did you like good. Sohan last year? I think I had him like somewhere in the 11 to 13 range. Okay. Yeah, I had him at seven, six or seven last year. So I was very high and everything I saw this year yeah. is uh, is something that I thought we would see and something that I like. Okay. Uh, has Silver gone up to take this pick yet? No, we're actually on, I don't want to call it a commercial. I don't think it's a commercial, but it's okay. something. It's something. They're they're TVing right now. I don't watch a lot of TV. I can't tell you what commercials are these days. They are TVing right now is how you just referred to that. I love it. Uh, okay. Does anybody have some questions? Maybe we'll talk about that uh, sure. as we go. Uh, Barry Johnson asks, is Sohan a more versatile defender than Walker? I think he's a more versatile on-ball defender. I think Walker yeah. is a more versatile, versatile off-ball defender. Yeah, and I prefer Walker scaling up to guard fives as opposed to Sohan. I agree with that as well. Uh, Different defenders. Walker probably is a little bit more upside defensively, I would say. Uh, Luke B, two seconds for moving down one spot. Thoughts on that? I think Indiana was taking Jairus Walker at seven, so to get to first is great. And for Utah, uh, to or no, for, uh, I'm sorry, Washington to move up, one spot to give up two of the like billion second round picks they've acquired in the last 24 hours. Sure. Sounds right. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Really a problem with it. Smart leveraging by Indiana. And when you're starting to rebuild like Washington and you know, that's your guy, go get your guy. Yep. Uh, Rodrigo Sal, uh, Rodrigo Silos. uh, What is Bilal's ceiling? Oh, what is Bilal's ceiling? It's probably pretty close to what Mikhail Bridges is right now. The floor is lower, 
by a substantial amount, but it is probably somewhat close to what Mikhail's ceiling is. Yeah, I think I think it's probably like he reminds me of a Scotty Barnes-ish type of player a lot. Not as high feel, but he reminds me a little bit of a Scotty Barnes-ish type of player. Yeah. Uh, AJ Wall asks, Kobe falls to 16. I'm assuming that's Kobe Bufkin. I'd be pretty staggered if yeah. that happened, to be honest. Um, I do not see that happening. Uh, let's see here. Yeah, I don't know what Dallas is going to do at 10, to be honest. Uh has has this pick happened yet, Adam? Because we're trying to stay with the TV. No, podcast. there's is some Claritin something commercial. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I know who this is, and I can explain something on Dallas here momentarily. Um, let's see here. Quick recap: Oaks Marley, good call. So at number one, Victor Wembanyama. Number two, Brandon Miller going to the Charlotte Hornets. Number three, Scoot Henderson going to the Portland Trailblazers. Number four, Amen Thompson's going to the Houston Rockets. Number five, Asar Thompson's going to the Detroit Pistons. Number six, Anthony Black is going to the Orlando Magic. Number seven, Bilal Koulibaly is going to the Washington Wizards via trade from the Indiana Pacers. The Pacers move down one spot and select Jarris Walker. Uh, Adam is looking at the screen now. We have timed this perfectly. And at the ninth selection, the Utah Jazz are selecting Taylor Hendricks from the University of Central Florida. Yeah, so I've kind of assumed that they would be willing to take Hendricks over the last little, you know, 48 hours. I had some questions on if they were, if he was like their guy necessarily if the board ran out this way, I would have been very interested to see what they would have done. If Bilal Koulibaly would have been on the board uh, with Taylor Hendricks, like if Cam Whitmore goes seven instead of, or if Cam Whitmore, yeah, Cam Whitmore goes seven instead of Bilal Koulibaly. I think that Koulibaly versus Hendricks would have been interesting, but Hendricks is just fascinating player, right? He's the classic three and D guy that is going to help you on some level win games. I completely believe in the shooting. I, I see no reason not to. Uh, then defensively, he's a great weak side rim protector. Is great timing on that on that end. He plays with good verticality. Uh, really good at going up off of two feet, like getting his center of gravity underneath them, or like you know, kind of flattened out and like uh, and well proportioned. Uh, great anticipation for flying around defensively. I think this is a great great fit next to guys like Lowry Markinen and Walker Kessler again. This is going to be a team with Walker Kessler that plays drop moving forward. That's going to be their move. And you get this guy who can be like a crazy help defender behind Walker Kessler and drop. You're essentially creating the defense that Milwaukee did behind Brooke Lopez. And yes, Taylor Hendricks is not as big or as active or as incredible as Giannis is as a help defender. But the idea I think is similar in terms of what they're trying to build on that end. Yeah, I, I like Hendricks a lot. I think offensively, he's more limited to a catch-and-shoot role than he is anything off the bounce right now. Lower feel needs to reel in his ball-handling mechanics in a lot of different ways. A tad upright as a driver, but he did show some flashes with the ball in his hands. He was given the longer leash to play with that in, in some regard. Um, I like the idea of him paired with a really nice lead guard running some ghost pick and pop actions, different things that you can do with him in the half court setting. 
but he's going to be fine if you just space him in the corners in that regard. Longer ceiling, higher upside guy, but Utah has the patience to be able to develop a guy like him. I like the fit. I think that he he is clearly a top 10 talent in this class, kind of proved it with his consistency throughout the year. A lot of guys had some peaks and valleys and ups and downs. He was Mr. Steady Hand from the very beginning. And the longer time went on, he was able to show he belonged in this conversation as a result. Okay. So we are going to have a trade with Dallas. <gasps> Dallas achieved one of its goals here. Do you want me to say who the pick is at number 10? Or do you want me to wait? I want you to wait. Okay. So I will say what Dallas did. So Dallas has moved down to number 12 with Oklahoma City. Oklahoma City has moved up. In order to do so, according to Shams, they have taken on the Davis Bertans contract, uh, which is something that Dallas has wanted to do. Dallas has had two goals essentially throughout this process. uh, From what I understand, they've wanted to add further depth in terms of younger guys on rookie scale contracts, because as you know, they have traded a lot of their depth over the last little while. And they have wanted to try and create further flexibility after next season in order to create uh star level outcomes and a potential contender around Luka Doncic. So basically they're trying to get more flexible and they're trying to add further picks. And by trading Davis Bertons, they have achieved the flexibility piece of that. And frankly, I think not moved out of any sort of tier of talent here from 10 to 16, I think is very similar in terms of talent. Uh, The Bertons contract for Oklahoma city fans is $17 million in 2023-24 and $16 million in 2024-25. Not a deal that anybody's going to be particularly enthused about. He does have an early termination option if he wants to exercise that in 2024-25. I don't see that happening because he's not getting that much much more money moving forward. Uh, Yeah, I think that... The trade makes a lot of sense for Dallas because now really what I've wanted Dallas to do this whole time. I mentioned this to uh, a friend of mine that works for a front office. I've wanted Dallas to just piecemeal themselves down. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, get a team to take on a contract, you know, from Utah get for 12, get 16 and 28 and something else. Right. So basically you get for this 10th overall pick off the Bertons deal, 16, 28, maybe something else from Utah, continue to do all of that stuff, right? What are you, what are you looking at? What do you got? For no, I'm, I'm just, I'm trying to think of this from Oklahoma city's perspective, moving up to two slots. Yeah. Who, who do you think they took? This is a fun question. You know, right? I do know. Yeah. Okay. So I've had a couple different thoughts that pop into my head. The first is Derek Lively, a guy who could be that rim protecting center for them. The other is Grady Dick, jumping Orlando at 11, who probably needs a floor spacer. If that's who Dallas Mm -hmm. thought that they wanted, that would make sense going up. Those are really the two guys. And now Silver's at the podium. So we're going to see who he ends up going with here. Like I I think it was smart for Dallas to move out regardless. They needed more veteran guys. There's no instant impact for them. We knew this was going to be a spot. But let's see. Oh, he's announcing the Wizards Pacers trade. That's what he's doing. So I'll explain while that's happening. 
Derek Lively doesn't really fit what Oklahoma City wants to do organizationally. Uh, they love centers who can handle the ball and can like dribble, pass, and shoot. We think there's some latent upside with Lively as a passer, right? Like that's yeah. a real distinct outcome. Uh, but you can't dribble. It's Casey the... Wallace. <laughs> yes, it's Casey Wallace. Uh, Oklahoma City likes guys who can play basketball. Yeah, I love it. That's the big key. Like they it. just like I guys who it. can play basketball. <laughs> Let's uh, go. The thing that this does, by the way, in my opinion, long term, this sets Oklahoma City up for a star trade moving forward because their big contract on their books right now is Lou Dort, right? I'd imagine they will keep Lou Dort on their books moving forward for this year. But next year, if a star comes available, you can combine that Lou Dort contract with the Davis Bertans contract, which at that point will be expiring. You will be able to do a do a deal for a player up to probably like 40 million at that point. Cause Dort and Bertans combined will make 32 and a half million. And that season is actually the last year where Oklahoma city is really going to be able to like go above and beyond in terms of trades before they get like crazy expensive with all the extensions they're going to have to hand out to their stars. And they're going to have a ready-made player in case and Wallace to replace Lou Dort. I think it is fucking brilliant from Oklahoma city. I I just love case and Wallace. I had a top 10 grade on him. I know he's a little bit smaller and smaller guards don't tend to make it as far in the NBA, but my God, man, this is an unbelievable competitor, a great kid. This is the Kentucky effect that you're betting on on the offensive end of the floor. I keep saying the thing with Case in this year is he essentially filled two different roles on the offensive end for the Wildcats. He started the year as more of the off-ball guy, and if you know John Calipari's offense, he likes to keep him segregated. Two backcourt guys, one does most of the handling, the other runs off of a million baseline screens and is more of a shooter. He started the year in the shooter role. It was pretty good. 40% from three at that point in time, suffered a couple injuries and wasn't really the same athletically. I think it really tinkered with the base of his shot moving forward. But he transitioned to that on-ball role when Severe Wheeler got hurt and Kentucky realized that a Severe Wheeler-Oscar-Shibwe two-man tandem in the middle of the floor provides you none spacing. And Kaysen performed admirably kind of orchestrating the offense. He's got a little bit more juice with the ball in his hands than he gets credit for. Nice runner and floater in the mid-range area. Still a little square or boxy of an athlete, particularly in terms of creating his own shot. But he's got more than he gets credit for. Defensively, I keep describing him as a Patrick Beverly type of player. He's got that grit and tenacity to guard up the lineup if you need him to, even though he is a little bit undersized. And just an unbelievable competitor and, and team guy. He's more quiet and reserved in the way that he goes about it than a Patrick Beverly. But he knifes in from the weak side and has unbelievable reads, makes winning basketball plays as a help defender. I really like Cason Wallace as a basketball player. It's going to take me a little more time to think about the fit in Oklahoma City. But when you're a franchise like they are, who have so many good young players, just keep adding good young players. That's a positive Mm -hmm. move from them. Cason Wallace is a really good young player. I got no problem with this. 
Well, in the way it fits is simple. It's you have Shea Gilgis Alexander and Josh Giddy, both of whom have improved defensively over their careers, but you don't want Shea having to deal with primary defensive assignments. And I actually don't think Josh can really deal with point of attack defensive assignments. So you go and you get a guy who is an elite level point of attack defender in case and Wallace that is going to fit with all of these guys elite. and make their life easier. Yeah, he's elite. You, you, you do think he is elite, right? I do. I do. I've, I mean, if him and Anthony black are the two best perimeter defenders in this class, I think Kaysen is grittier in some ways. I just like the size of Anthony, which is where I can make it. Ty goes to the bigger guy. It's essentially what it comes down to. Um, Okay, so th- this next pick is going to be uh, a roller coaster. So, uh-oh. Uh, uh, so it's not it's not up on screen yet. Here it says pick is in, but no silver to the podium. All right, that means it's not Grady Dick. They need floor spacing. They can't take Cam here. Like they can't go Cam and uh, Anthony Black. That's that's too much. Okay. Oh, so. that to me that 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 would have been a great A draft had they done that. You, you take. Cam Whitmore at 11 and Anthony Black, the guy you want at six, that would have been like the best draft for anybody this year. Here's Silver. Orlando Magic select. Who is that? Jed Howard? (laughs) (laughs) So, look, Adam, you asked for shooting. I did. This is what you wanted. Keep that in mind. Sam. (laughs) <laughs> okay so i will say this i had jet howard at like 25 on my board i'm not an enormous fan of this pick i will say that if i had the ability to kind of continue to tinker late i probably would have had jet at 19 or 20 no i would have had him at 20 on my board uh i, I am this is not the pick i would have made i would have picked grady dick if you wanted this skill set, but I understand getting a shooter who can run off of movement and play off of fun zoom actions. It's an interesting fit with Anthony black because of Anthony black's defensive ability. It's a good fit. Let me say that this is a good fit. Yes. 11 is rich. It's very rich. Uh, I had him 23, I think, on my final. Let me check where I had him. Somewhere in that like mid-20s range. 22, where I had Jet Howard. So, And let me, let me be clear, too. I think that if somebody wanted Kobe Bufkin, this probably would have been a pretty popular pick to get up to because I think that the team at 13, Toronto, like really wants Kobe Bufkin. Oh so Whitmore, I would have old. thought they probably would have had some potential options here to move down. Okay. So explain what your issue is with this pick, Adam. Okay. So Jet Howard, he checks a lot of the boxes for the Orlando magic in terms of having length and being a bigger shooting specialist, six foot eight, but he is not a very physical player. And that shows up on the defensive end of the floor. I don't think he has a natural position to guard I don't want to say heavy feet, but he gets very little burst or lift out of his feet and doesn't separate on offense, doesn't really keep guys in front defensively. Lack of speed and lack of physicality is a tough combination for a wing to have in the NBA. I'm not a biomechanical expert, but I did not see 
a lot of the, the ways that Jed Howard is going to be able to improve at some of those areas. Offensively, really good shooter, has some pull-up stuff to him when he really gets going. But other than the shot, you need to scheme ways to make him impactful. Decent playmaker when he knows exactly what the read of the defense is going to be. And he needs to come to his right hand with a little bit of a runway pre-catch to get separation from his man. He's not a standstill separator in any type of regard. That's fine for the role he's going to fill in the NBA, but routinely the statistical impact that he brought outside of shooting was very, very minimal in ways that we haven't seen for lottery picks in some time. Uh, yep. I, again, I get it in Orlando in their construct. This is just a little rich for me. Oh boy. Yeah. Uh, look, I don't love the pick. I would have picked Grady Dick. I, I mean, really, I would have picked Cam Whitmore, but I had Cam Whitmore at three. So is, is this the time to talk about what's happening with Cam Whitmore? Yeah, it is. Okay. So, so Cam Whitmore, by the way, he's my, not going at Sam, my, for my wife just texted me, Are you okay? Yeah. Seems reasonable. Yeah. Uh, given your response there. So, yeah. Now that this is actually happening, I really don't like reporting on medical stuff throughout the process because NBA teams in general have very different definitions in terms of what a medical concern is, right? Some teams yellow flag things. Some teams are more aggressive in flagging things. Some teams are more aggressive in terms of not being willing to take players. I don't like reporting on this stuff because I think that it can be damaging in a way that is concerning to me. Uh, there, there are flags with Cam Whitmore. I did not get the impression that they are red flags necessarily on Whitmore. I got the impression that they exist is maybe the fairest way to put it. Uh, one person earlier today that works for a team told me it is not as bad as like what Michael Porter's medical concerns were with his back coming in. Sure. Um, I've talked to a few teams that said it wouldn't really make a difference in terms of their determination to take Cam Whitmore. I've talked to teams that said it would. So that piece of it is, it, it is a thing. It has been reported. It, it is. Uh, I think that John Wasserman may have gotten it first over at Bleacher Report. Uh, got it out into the public at least first. It, it, it's it's a thing, and it has been. And I think even I think even uh, John uh, over at ESPN, John Gavoni wrote about it uh, earlier today as well. That this is yep. this is a thing. So you know th- that's that's what's happening. That's why Cam Whitmore is still on the board. I still would have him. You know, if I had known about the medical last week, I still would have had him at probably five or six uh, given the information I have, but I'm also higher on Cam Whitmore than most people. Yeah. So, yeah. And I, and I had him. At and, six and by the nine. way, to, to be clear, I had Michael Porter at five or six in that class as well. So I think I just might be a little bit more aggressive on this stuff than many NBA teams are. Yeah. I have, uh, I had Whitmore at six and that's non withstanding any of the injury stuff wasn't really part of my evaluation. I released my, final board a week ago so it didn't really go back and tinker with that cam is he's an upside play and he's always been an upside play the actualized version of cam whitmore is something we haven't seen yet uh 
He's 18. He's super young, and he's young in terms of basketball experience. He missed time a, a lot in high school. COVID shortened some things. Injuries, I think freshman or sophomore year, really shortened some things. He actually missed a month and a half his senior year because he twisted his ankle playing against those guys right behind me, boys, Latin Lakers. Sorry about that, Cam. Uh, <laughs> he's he's young. He missed time in training camp this year with a thumb injury, I believe, and, and that's yep. a really, for a freshman, the first practices in the month and a half of the season is a really important time, particularly to get up to speed on the defensive end. He's still young in a lot of regards. But I keep going back to this idea of can you develop feel? Can you get a guy who looks like he should be playing with the ball in his hands at all time, who doesn't necessarily make the right reads, has tunnel vision in a lot of different ways? Can you turn him into a functional basketball player that leads to team success? I don't have a great answer for that question. I just know the raw tools that he brings to the table are very, very tantalizing. And a guy whose upside is so built on those physical tools, if there are medical concerns, I get why there's a slide. I just, I get it. So here's here's the other thing here. I kind of been talking about this with teams throughout the week in terms of why I would still have Cam just like exceptionally high on my board. You know, again, like I'd have him top six or so. If you are, if you look back through history, Look at the number of players that are Anthony Edwards level athletes, which Cam Whitmore is. I think we're in agreement on that, right? Like he's probably not as flexible as Anthony Edwards is, but in terms of explosiveness, power, everything like that. How many of those guys have failed? Yeah, I don't know. Like it, you can't really find one as long as they have like the power in addition to the explosiveness. Like, Keon, Keon Johnson has the explosiveness, but he's like 175 pounds when he got drafted, right? He's smaller, um, too. Yeah. Yeah, and he's smaller. Like, Josh Jackson is one name that, like, wasn't quite as good of an athlete as Cam is, but m- maybe I'd be willing to hear that out. You, you just can't really find guys that are this athletic that fail at the NBA level. Somebody brings up Dennis Smith Jr. Dennis Smith Jr. is just yeah. small, and yeah. that's just like a different deal. Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, not as good of an athlete as him. Yeah. All right. Here it is. Mavs back at 12. Yep. Derek Lively from Duke is going to Dallas with the 12th pick that they traded down to select from Oklahoma City. I like that for Dallas. So th- this is a grade A draft for Dallas if they keep yeah. Derek Lively for me. They use number 10 to slide down to get off of the Davis Bertans contract, which increases their flexibility long-term. And then they get the center who they need to be able to anchor a defense with Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving. And oh, by the way, the center who is going to be an unbelievable rim runner for Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving out of ball screens. It might not be next year. Like they probably need to figure out an answer at center for next season. But this is the guy long-term that I think made the most sense for them if they were to select in the lottery. Phenomenal kid. 
really, really humble, kind-hearted, just, just a really, really good person. I want to say that first and foremost about Lively. And that tends to be a lot of the trends of the guys we're talking about here at the top of this draft. Like yeah. they check out a lot of boxes on the character side. Uh, Lively's enormous, absolutely massive. And he has played the five-man position incredibly well for Duke this past year, particularly the final eight weeks of the season. His in-season growth of understanding his role and how to impact the game with his length was tremendous. It took a lot of discipline to get him there. He was foul-prone early, wasn't always great at verticality, things he knew how to do at lower levels, but didn't do every single time. He bought into that. He evolved as the season went on. He was unbelievable from a defensive perspective. And I've said this on the podcast before. The best 20 minutes of basketball I think I saw from a college prospect this year was Derek Lively in the first half of the NCAA tournament against Oral Roberts. He changed everything about that game. They were scared to breathe near him. You know, Lively has taken a little bit more time to grow into his own as the true five man for different reasons. He played alongside other bigs at lower levels. Uh, West Town School, where he went to high school, he was not. He was more of the four man at West Town. If you can believe that, Derek Lively playing the four in high school. They had I always butcher his name, Frank Kepang, who ended up going to Oregon. Kepnong, Kepnong yeah. ended up going to Oregon and then Washington. They were high school teammates playing for AAU and, and team final. He and Jalen Duran, teammates on the AAU circuit. He has played next to other bigs. I think it just took him a little bit of time to come around to okay, this is my show. The floor is a little bit more spread. I got to clean up everything in the basket. But when he adjusted to that, he was damn dominant as a defender for Duke. There is some offensive stuff to tap into with him. Decent flashes as a short roll creator. Not great right now, but decent. He's proven he can shoot the ball at lower levels. I don't know if I'd rely on that for an impact role right away, but there's at least something there to work with. It takes younger guys a year or so to turn into reliable rim protectors in the NBA. Lively probably has that similar developmental curve. But long-term, screen and roll next to Kyrie Irving or Luka Doncic, space in the dunker spot, clean up everything at the rim. The fit is seamless. Yeah, like my take on Lively has always kind of been that I think he's a little bit of a higher upside Mitchell Robinson. Uh, And Mitchell Robinson's great. Like Mitchell Robinson's probably a top, I don't know, 13 center in the NBA. So Lively, I think, has the upside to be something like a top eight center in the NBA at some point. Defensively, he's just a stud. I think he can make an all-defense team or two at some point. Uh, His ability to protect the rim is ridiculous. He does control the defensive glass pretty well for somebody that is as big and can be moved around a little bit uh, like he can generally. Uh, He is somebody that is versatile in ball screen coverages. You brought up that Oral Roberts game. The thing that stands out most is the fact that they would hard hedge him. They'd play flatter at the level against Max Asmus and kind of catch him in that drop, or they just straight play drop from time to time. Right. I think this is a home run. Uh, This is the Mavs. I think for the capital that they have and for what they have achieved so far, Outside of the top four picks, I think this is my favorite draft so far from any team. I like that. I need you to do me a favor, Sam, because I, I just had this horrible dream. Did Orlando take Jet Howard at 11? Am I making See, that like, up? I'm lower on Jet Howard. I think I might be lower on Jet Howard than you are. You like, are. Yeah. And I think this is 
like not unreasonable. It's defensible. And it's because defensible. Of, That's because a good way of to the, it. Because of the fit, it's defensible. I just, uh, hmm. hmm. I just want to make sure that happened. I'm not making it up. And here's the other. Here's the other reason I think it's defensible is that they now maintain the ability to just play absolutely enormous, right? Yeah. Like Jet Howard for whatever you want to call him is huge, right? Like for a two guard essentially, which is what he's going to have to play. He's going to yep. play two in Orlando. Yep. Um, yeah, no. It, I got for what it's worth. Like I got tipped off that this was a possibility at one point, no. and I thought this was like okay grady dick somehow went off the board and they just maybe don't want Derek lively maybe they don't feel good about koulibaly for some reason like maybe this is like a last ditch resort but it, it clearly wasn't they just clearly loved jet howard and oh by the way like orlando marches to be their own drum with this stuff they always have and uh, i'm gonna be fascinated vicente greco asks while we're waiting for number 13 which I don't know why number 13 is taking as long as it is. Oh, I think a lot just, of the time he just walked out, Sam, you jinxed it. Okay. Um, is, is lively are, playing in the playoffs? Maybe. I, I think, yes. I, I think that we've seen guys that are this big, like, you know, Mitchell Robinson essentially just played in the playoffs. Right. I think that really helped Derek lively throughout this process. The 13th pick in the 2023 NBA draft, the Toronto Raptors select Grady Dick of Kansas. Okay. And the red suit makes a lot more sense. Not a name I had heard connected with them. So they did very well to smokescreen this, in well, my opinion. Here's here's what I would say with Grady Dick in Toronto. It, you saw the report earlier today about Pascal Siakam preferring to stay in Toronto. I did. Yeah. So if, if that's the case and you've got Scotty Barnes, you need you need floor spacing. I think Grady Dick makes sense there if you're going to try to run it back a little bit further with Pascal. Yep. No, I think it's a pick that makes a lot of sense. Like I'm not, I'm not saying that like, it doesn't make sense. I think it's reasonable. It's just something they haven't really done in the past. A, they tend to like these guys that are bigger, longer, you know, athletic and everything. B it's also something that I just hadn't heard much of really. Like I, I just, frankly, I'd heard a lot of Kobe Bufkin. I'd heard a lot of uh, uh, like Jalen Huchfino. I'd heard a lot of like the guards there. I'd heard a bit of Bilal Koulibaly. Yep. Uh, yeah, it's it's a surprise, but you're right. Like if you're going to play Scotty Barnes and Pascal Siakam, and that's going to be your duo of the future, right? Let's remove OG Ananobi just for right. a second because, yep. you know, has one year left on his contract. Siakam also has one year left on his contract, but obviously, as you mentioned, the Haynes report earlier uh, said that he might not want to necessarily leave Toronto and wouldn't be willing to sign an extension elsewhere other than Toronto. So it's interesting that we're at this point now with Toronto that they are willing to look at fit a little bit more. And I do wonder if in this case, Gary Trent has already opted in. I'm kind of expecting that he signs an extension. Maybe I'm wrong about that. I'm, uh, this, that doesn't come from inside information. That's just me kind of assuming that he wouldn't have opted in unless there was something cooking there, maybe. I think that 
they just had needs in the backcourt and they had needs kind of every it's it's fascinating it's genuinely genuinely really interesting that this happened yeah i i uh i wonder if they do lean into like playing scotty as the primary decision maker a little bit more and being that super wing heavy thing like hey let's move on from fed van vliet gary trent you're gonna have to guard some ones on occasion scotty will cross match when we need him to get a bunch of wing specialty shooters around that and we can pick and play with different lineups and rotations that we want that's fascinating to me no i love it i think it's a really really interesting you know trajectory for them you were you really have to buy in. I can't tell if you're wincing when you look at. No, I just. I, 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 he looks like a leaky faucet, man. He's just got dripped too oh hard. God. Look at that that's guy. Ridiculous. Oh, yeah, that's so sweet. The the Raptors media is going to have a lot of fun with Grady Dick. Like, yeah. there's no question about Great that. Kid. Yeah. Um. So fourteen now is coming up. Fourteen is interesting. Obviously, I think Cam Whitmore is like a potential outcome here. Oh, my God. I think Cam Whitmore's potential outcome moving forward everywhere. Yeah. Kobe Bufkin, I think, would make a lot of sense here. I wonder if Jordan Hawkins could be a thing here. Yeah, they got a lot of options they could go. I, I think that they could be even a, a position for a trade in some regard if someone wants Like, we are in the in the range where with Bufkin and Whitmore – the buzz could be enough for a team to, to try to leverage something and move down if someone else really likes them. But man, this is two different guys here who have, whether it's medicals or Kobe Bufkin in his camp, trying to really control and limit the workouts where we're seeing some of the downsides of, of that and, and two guys that can slide and, and go ahead. You got something. Well, I, I'm not, I'm not worried about Kobe Bufkin sliding. Like the range for Kobe was always 10 to, you know, 17 sure. or something like that. Right. And by for what it's worth, if this happens, I will say what I think they were trying to do. Uh, Maybe. Uh, Well, I I think that I think people have pinpointed the wrong team that Kobe Bufkin was trying to like get to is what I will say. My my take on some of this stuff with these two guys is it. it, I always wonder and, and maybe we'll see this and maybe you have some thoughts when there is a player who slides a little bit more than anticipated on draft night and now is into the range of a lot of teams that did not get the chance to work him out or the camp was really cautious about not letting him work out for those teams and perpetuate the idea that he could slide. Do they feel comfortable taking a player like this, knowing they might not have anticipated him being in that range? Like how do you as a front office deal with this so quickly in real time? The, the thing that helps them, in my opinion, is that there are a number of teams in the lottery that had multiple picks. Like Houston has been connected with Cam Whitmore throughout the process. They have 20. By no means would be a stunner if they moved up from 20 to go take Cam Whitmore, in my yep. opinion. Um, what I'll say is – I want to move to this question real quick on uh, Jet Howard. Uh, Jeff Weltman said Jet Howard played the season injured. That's true. He hurt his ankle uh, midway through the season. I, I want to, you know, give that real, you know, time here to talk about that. He did. He hurt his ankle. And I think that that's why you saw some of the movement skills maybe a bit compromised and why you saw maybe a few things not go as well. Here's what I'll also say. Before the ankle injury, Michigan was a better team when Jet Howard wasn't on the court, frankly. And that's backed up statistically. If you go to pivot analysis, I have 
you know, talked about that ad nauseum at this point. I don't need to belabor the point. I, I think like go back to other points where we talked about Jet Howard in the past. Uh, I did move Jet up to like the 17 ish to like 21 range. Cause I thought that he would go somewhere 15 to 25 uh, tonight. And if he goes 11, that's, you know, it's not like a standard deviation away from sure. that. I don't think. Sure. Okay. New Orleans and then Atlanta and then Utah at 16. By the way, like Atlanta is the team here that I have no idea. No, to no expect. idea. All right. Here's silver. Uh, yeah. The, 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 God. The New Orleans Pelicans at 14. Oh, he's doing that damn trade thing again. He's in that. Okay. I, so I Atlanta, the team, the, the guy I'd heard for Atlanta was Casey Wallace. If he fell to 15, uh, I don't know if, you know, I, I don't know where they go now, basically. Okay. With the 14th pick in the 2023 NBA draft, the New Orleans Pelicans select Jordan Hawkins from Connecticut. Yep. Sure. Sounds right. Uh, I think this was Grady Dick's soft landing spot. Yeah. Uh, for what it's worth. Uh, having kind of talked to some folks around it. And if you can't get Grady Dick, Jordan Hawkins is a perfect, you know, um, you know, person that is a replacement here. Right. Uh, Hawkins, I think is even a better shooter than Dick. If I'm being completely honest, his ability to fly off of screening actions, it's going to be shades of what we saw. I hope to God they put JJ Redick on screen and let him talk about Jordan Hawkins here because he has literally been in this exact situation playing off of Zion Williamson in like two, five or five, two ball screen actions where he'd handle the ball and like, let they empty side, empty one side out of, on the court, let them play in like a two man game essentially. And because JJ was such a good shooter, it was impossible. Im possible to guard that action i thought uh especially when they flipped it and they let jj be the screener and he was yeah. just slipping and you had to put all sorts of pressure on zion it was impossible yep. um that's the kind of thing that they're creating here with this pick yeah and you know cue the john mayer music but like gravity is a huge part of this in in new orleans when you have zion williamson on the floor you need to find a way to have movement shooting around him in ways that keep the lane open. I think that what we saw the best version of Zion Williamson is just when he has spacing around him in some regard. And defensively, you need a five. You need a big man to be able to anchor things on defense. So beyond that, lean into the shooting side of things. I like Jordan Hawkins. I think this is a good place for him to land too. Uh, Earlier impact in his career allow. You know, a great offensive coach in Willie Green, who's going to be creative with the ways that he utilizes Jordan and can construct some things that make the most sense for him and for their team. I do have some concerns about the versatility of his game in a lot of different ways on both ends of the floor, but he's really, really good at what he does. And yep. the common theme that we're seeing here, like three shooters in the last four picks, when you get to the middle part of the first round, value those role players that bring floor spacing to your team. Yep. So looks like we have the pick at 15, which will be fun. Uh, okay. Pretty, pretty good. And then Hawkins goes to new Orleans. 
Does anybody have any questions as we're talking about this? Because I don't, yeah, Alex, we, we've been trying not to spoil picks throughout. Uh, if trades happen, we try to clue you in at the top by talking about the trade itself before spoiling who the actual yep. pick is. Yep. Uh, that's kind of the goal here. I'm going to be very interested to see what Utah does. I think that, uh, yeah, yeah, can't talk about that yet because uh, okay. I know who the pick is. Oh, uh, do you? Yeah. Oh, we're two um, picks ahead already. Nice. I know who the pick is for Atlanta. I'm sorry. Not uh, oh, okay. Not, not for Utah. Utah. Okay, gotcha, yeah. gotcha. I mean, look, we're talking Cam Whitmore and Kobe Bufkin as the two guys who are, you know, had the most buzz of being top ten potential still yeah. on the board here and you never know with the medicals and stuff with Whitmore but my god if I'm Utah sitting at 16 that makes a lot of sense to me just that type well, of, look what yeah, you can walk away with to start here Whitmore and Hendricks I, that's unbelievable I do that in a heartbeat I'm not convinced of that uh what is the explanation on the Whitmore slide? We've talked about that at the top uh, or like, you know, what, what pick did we talk about that? Maybe pick 12 or so a little, little earlier than that. I think it was around oh, nine, 11, maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah. So go, go back and look at that. Uh, yeah. I don't, I, I don't know what to expect here from Whitmore moving forward. I, I don't know where the floor is to be honest. Yeah. Uh, I yeah. I, I don't, yeah. Like someone said, saw a Utah beat writer say they didn't like Whitmore at all. Yeah. He was not really on their board at nine from what I gather. I don't have a great inclination at 16. I will say uh, if the person who gets picked at 16 gets picked at 16, I will talk a little bit through that. Um, but yeah, interesting situation. Let's see here. Yeah, Quickly, HP just... actually, yeah, HPPER yeah. says lowest Whitmore goes is twenty. I do think that the Rockets would likely take him, but yeah. I don't know if they have him like significantly flagged. All right, here come the Atlanta Hawks, and at fifteen, they are taking Kobe Bufkin. Good, I like that. I like yeah. that a lot. So that's that's what I was kind of waiting for to happen here was Kobe Bufkin to get taken. Uh, great pick for Atlanta. You know, as I said, I thought Casey Wallace was the guy that they wanted, uh, or like was hoping that would fall there. Uh, Kobe Bufkin fits a number of boxes here in a similar way. He can play both on and off the ball next to Trey Young or DeJounte Murray. This is a team that has always needed more ball handlers, just straight up. What, what are you? Is he wearing a, he's not wearing now? a shirt. He's not wearing a shirt. No, he's he, just wearing a jacket. Yeah. I'm so old. Okay. This is like the oldest response I think you've ever had on this show. I'm so old. Yeah. Um, Good for him. Yeah, I love it. So Kobe Bufkin, the thing is just he's so well-rounded that I think that you can play him with DeJounte Murray. You can play him with Trey Young. He's like basically the third guard, like the perfect third guard to have with that duo. Uh, you can play them together, honestly, all three of them, maybe in a couple of years, if you decide to keep DeJounte and Trey together long-term, because both Kobe and DeJounte are quite tall, at least for the size. Both of them are quite skinny, 
but tall, you know, where you might be able to get away with it in certain lineups. Yeah, the thing that we've loved about Kobe Bufkin throughout this process is that he is so well-rounded and so polished as a player that it just seems like one of those things that will work. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. Uh, you know, the the fit to play next to DeJounte or next to Trey Young is really important for Atlanta. They need backcourt depth, both short-term and long-term. They're stockpiled on the wings. And you never know what type of – let me put it this way. I, I think that once Quinn Snyder got there, there was a little bit more – oomph behind the idea of moving on from John Collins. Uh, that's not sourced or anything like that. It's just the style of play that, that Quinn has te- generally tended to love is more skill at the four position and more mm-hmm. like tons of ball movement around that spot. We'll see if things shake out that way, but I think going in the direction of getting a, a good backcourt depth piece and now letting the rest of the wings rock on this roster is really smart from Atlanta. Yeah, uh, um, let's see here. Can, can we talk about this next pick? Because I kind of want to get a little bit ahead so we can take some questions from people. Are, yeah. are people going to be upset here? Are people going to be upset in the comments if we try to get ahead so that you guys can ask us questions uh, in, as like a little middle middle interstitial here? Just answer in the well, comments. So, and yeah, we'll kinda, what do we got? We'll kind of make a call. Got to this. give the people what they want. Yeah, we're we're not going to just do this unless. Okay, so we've got a, we got a lot of a lot of notes. notes. Yeah, a lot of notes. Yeah, no, no spoilers. Okay. Uh, Wait. No, I don't know. Okay, a lot of notes. So we're not going to do it. I haven't. Uh, I haven't seen it, Sam. I have yeah. not seen it. Um, yeah. I. It tells me not Whitmore if there's this type of reaction or a need to talk. We've talked about Cam a lot. Yeah, no, it's not something we need to talk about. Honestly, I just wanted to be able to get ahead so people can ask questions. So maybe we'll just do it now. Um, favorite heat pick from the available players. Take Cam Whitmore first. Jaime Jaquez would be up there for me. Um, Omax. Who, who else? Omax, I think, makes some sense for them for sure. Uh, who else? Who else? Who else? Uh, Huchifino, I think, would be interesting for them just as yeah. like a dribble pass shoot guy that can really dominate the mid range. Uh, yeah, I mean, actually, it's saying that like a lot of people are people are saying that no, they won't be upset if we spoil this. Okay, so sorry, I, I phrased that poorly. So I, I'm just gonna go ahead and spoil this then, and then you guys can ask a bunch of questions afterward. Mm-hmm. 